You're listening to the Script Lab Podcast. I'm Shaney Edwards. On today's episode, I chat with writer-director Carlo Mirabella Davis about his striking new body horror film, Swallow, starring the very talented Haley Bennett. She plays Hunter, a young wife who swallows dangerous objects in secret. Film is dark, but it's also gorgeously shot, and at times it's even funny. Carlo tells me about his very personal and ultimately tragic inspiration for the film, and he shares the many reasons someone might have such a dark obsession. I definitely recommend you see this movie. It's my favorite so far this year. All right, let's get to Carlo. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I loved this movie. Oh. It was dark. It was beautiful. I admit I laughed at times. Um, but it definitely reminded me a little bit of Polanski's Repulsion. Mm. That sort of isolated female space where you don't feel in control of your body and the world. I really want to talk about the film, but I want to know about your background and how you got involved in writing and directing. Um, sure. So I, uh, I grew up in um, New York. I spent a lot of time in upstate New York. And I remember there was this moment when my sister, uh, Francesca Mirabella, and I, she's also a filmmaker, found a Super 8 uh, camera at a yard sale. And she, she and my uh, dear friend Chris Dapkins and I started to shoot movies, strange movies up there um, in the woods with our friends and uh uh, and family. And so um, that was sort of the, the genesis of it. Um, and I began to watch movies obsessively. And then in high school, I actually went to high school with Jordan Peele, and he showed me uh, The Shining and Akira uh, for the first time. Wow. Uh, and, and I was an, deeply inspired, and I followed his, his uh, incredible creations with awe ever since then. Um, so that's kind of how I began uh, my. my uh, uh, interest in film. So did you go to film school? What happened? I did. I went to um, NYU Tisch Film School for grad and, and undergrad. Um, and uh, and I, at that time, I was watching five films a day, uh, but I had to cut that back a little to make some movies of my own and get some sleep. Um, and, uh, and then I, um, my thesis film, Knife Point, uh, was at Sundance in 2009, um, which is sort of a Flannery O'Connor-esque horror film. Um, and after that, I, I co-directed The Swell Season uh, with Nick Augustperna and Chris Dapkins about uh, Glenn Hansard and Marquette Urglova. And then I uh, began to write uh, Swallow. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so where did the idea for Swallow come from? I've heard of Pika before. Mm. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what that is. Right. So Pika is the um, compulsion to eat dangerous objects. Um, and the... The uh, idea for the film was inspired by my grandmother, who was a homemaker in the 1950s in an unhappy marriage who developed various rituals of control. Um, she was an obsessive hand washer who would go through uh, four cakes of soap a day and 12 bottles of rubbing alcohol a week. And I think she was looking for order in a life she felt increasingly powerless in. And uh, my grandfather, at the behest of the doctors, put her into a mental institution where they gave her electroshock therapy, insulin shock therapy, and a non-consensual lobotomy. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and she lost her sense of taste and smell. And I always thought there was something 
punitive about it, that they were punishing her for not living up to society's expectations of what they felt a wife or a mother should be and for being different. And so I always wanted to make a film about that. But, you know, hand-washing is not very cinematic. So I remember seeing a photograph of all the contents that had been surgically removed from the stomach of a patient with pica. And I was they were spread out, you know, on a table like an archaeological dig. And I was fascinated, and I wanted to know what drew the patient to those artifacts. Um, it almost seemed like something mystical, like a holy communion, and I wanted to know more. Do you think maybe she just had OCD? She did have OCD. Um, and I think that of, you know none of the, the horrific treatments she endured cured her OCD. Um, and she developed agoraphobia later in life as well. Um, and I think that, you know, um, it was a, it was a really tragic event and, uh, one that even though, and I mean, I think in this, in today's, you know, day and age, things have got improved in terms of how mental illness is viewed, but I think mental illness is still very much stigmatized. And a lot of people don't reach out for help and they don't, um, talk about it and get the treatment that they need because of that stigma. Your personal story really clues me into why the film has such a 1950s feel and look. Uh, your visuals are gorgeous, and your actress, Haley Bennett, is just stunning. I mean, she's beautiful, but she has deep emotional currents running through her face at all times. Maybe you can tell me um, what role the pica plays for her character. Well, first, I'd just like to say that uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for mentioning that about uh, Haley Bennett. I, I think she delivers a tour de force performance in the film, and we were so incredibly fortunate that she decided to um, to make this movie. Um, you know, she just uh, poured every iota of her soul into this project, and you know, Haley is so good with layers of emotion. Hunter wears multiple masks throughout the film. You know, there's that first mask that's kind of uh, uh, mirroring what her husband wants her to be you know, mirroring normalcy, that placid smile. And then there's the second mask, which is like her pain, her doubt, is this where I belong? And the third mask, which is like her true self, her primal self, threatening to emerge. And Haley can give you all of those emotional textures simultaneously with just the touch of her hair or the twitch of her eye. Um, and in regards to um, the act of consuming the objects, uh, yeah, I, I wanted it to be, it's, it's swallowing an object, but it's also swallowing your emotions and repressing your true feelings. You know, everyone is telling Hunter, this is what you want. You want to be a mother. You want this life. You want to be this, you know, augmentation to this controlling patriarchal man. This is what you should want, is what society is, you know, and the family is telling her. Inside, she feels very differently, but she represses that. Of course, it comes out in the form of this unusual compulsion. Um, and, uh, and the film does ask a lot of questions about um, motherhood and about who has control over, over women's bodies. And even though the compulsion is dangerous, it is her way of reclaiming her true sense of self um, and uh, what she really wants and who uh, she really is. I think a, a, a breakdown can often be a breakthrough, a sign that you, know, you need to kind of reexamine your life and the causes of uh, that uh, mental illness. I've never done any type of physical self-harm, but I could definitely relate to Hunter. That feeling of, you know, this is my body, but other people have their own opinions as to what should happen to it. It's amazing that we're in 2020 and women still don't have sovereignty over their own bodies. Were you trying to make a political statement? 
I really believe that the personal and the psychological is also political because it all uh, connects. Um, and I've, uh, you know, I remember uh, uh, watching a um, uh, Tucker Carlson show, and on it, he had all these experts who are arguing that uh, feminism is no longer needed because sexism doesn't exist <laughs> anymore. And they were trying to like prove it, you know, scientifically. And it made me so incredibly angry, you know. And I, I feel that. Um, we're seeing now this new guard with the Trump administration. You know, you see it in sort of the sinister smile of Mitch McConnell. You know, it's this return to the, this kind of patriarchal controlling um, establishment. And luckily, there's a lot of amazing new voices and filmmakers, female filmmakers, filmmakers of color, and new voices who are fighting back against that patriarchal system. But I wanted to show with the uh, retro style of the film that we think a lot of those politics from the 50s are gone, but that they're lingering still, you know, subcutaneously beneath the surface. And Hunter's compulsion, you know, starts as a quiet rebellion in a way, but like a pebble going uh, down a mountainside creating an avalanche, it, 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 it builds to a, to a kind of a, a powerful um, conclusion. Well, the dark humor, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, it really spoke to me. I mean, every time she'd pick up an object, I just kind of <laughs> laughed like, girl, no, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Secretly wanting to see if she's really going to do it, mm. you know. The tray, mm. it's like a mirrored tray where most women would put perfume bottles, and she has this menagerie. She was really proud of that in a way, right? Yes, I mean, and I and I wanted the you know I talked a lot with um, uh, my my production designer, my amazing production designer Aaron McGill, about that vanity. And Aaron had the brilliant idea that even though the house, you know, Hunter decorates it to reflect kind of what she thinks her husband wants, she, her true aesthetic tastes come out in these corners of the of the house, and the vanity is like this shrine. You know, it's like this secret temple for her. And so the objects um, become a, a symbol of pride, like these little trophies that she has gotten through that, that she was able to do this thing that um, no one else, uh, other those around her couldn't do or would never imagine doing. Um, and I think it makes her feel grounded and connected to herself. You know, sometimes people who are cutters or um, have those kinds of moments of self-harm, a lot of it is looking for control because, you know, as the wound heals, you feel a sense of like, I got through that, you know, I was able, um, uh, my body can heal uh, itself and then maybe I can heal trauma uh, as well. Of course, um, it is a dangerous compulsion and it's something that um, I think is an expression of <laughs> Uh, the restrictive environment that she's in. Um, and I also, you know, we chose every one of those objects uh, to each reflect a different emotional memory. The marble, for example, if you listen, you can hear a kind of beach sounds and there's something nostalgic about it. It calls back to sort of childhood, a simpler time, and whereas the thumbtack is a much more sort of uh, you know, waltz in, with, in a dangerous relationship, kind of. Uh, and so each object has its own emotional texture that Hunter and Hunter approaches the object differently based on the trigger that happens the scene before. I'm just curious, is that something you put in the script? Um, no. Um, in that was developed um, uh, by Michael Karihara uh, and our uh, amazing sound 
editor. Um, and a lot of the joy of making a movie is that, you know, you work on the script uh, in your lair uh, um, in a solitary way. And then as a filmmaker, you, there's this miracle where other people come into the process, incredible collaborators, that um, you see the story reflected through their eyes and they bring so much to it. Uh, I was very fortunate um, to work with my incredible cinematographer, uh, Kate Arismendi, uh, who's just a visual genius, and uh, she, she, she came up with so many amazing uh, ways to view Hunter's world. And my amazing producers, Molly Asher and Minette Louie, who um, were, were incredible collaborators who fought um, tooth and nail to get this film made. What's your writing process like? You know, for me, the writing process is, it's a real emotional and psychological journey. I remember going to hear David Lynch speak, and he had this great quote about how writing, in a way, is like fishing. You know, you cast your net, and the really interesting fish are lurking, you know, in the depths of the ocean down below. And so you really have to be patient to sort of pull those fish up, and not the ones that are sort of drifting on the surface. Um, I do uh, tend to write late at night. I stay up late in order to write. Um, the world kind of recedes, and I feel like as a writer, you, uh, you need to be bold. You need to scare yourself. You know that if you're frightened of what you're writing, you're probably on the right track. So you primarily work in, in sort of horror thriller? I do, but I, I think it's important to say that this movie really is kind of a mixture of genres. It has a psychological thriller, uh, it has body horror elements, it also has dark comedy elements, and also a domestic drama. It's like a tiramisu of uh, genres. And I realized, to go back to the dark comedy, that um, having a little bit of humor in the story kind of helps the medicine go down. Uh, because a lot of the topics we're dealing with are very intense and heavy, and humans often process what's happening to them with humor as well, and I think it made the film a little more relatable. When you wrote the script, did you make any mistakes? That's an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that before. You know, my father, who's, a, who's a, also a writer, um, he has a great quote, which is, he says that writing is rewriting, and I really believe that, you know, that um, you write something initially and it all sort of tumbles out onto the page and then it's a lot of curation. Michelangelo said that uh, he sculpted the David by looking at a block of marble and taking away what's not supposed to be there. Um, and I really believe in the process of working and writing and calibrating. So yeah, you make a lot of mistakes as a writer and then you go through and sometimes those mistakes are really interesting. I think you have to be uh, willing to be bold and to mess up a little and to take risks. And that, that's where you know a lot of the fascinating choices are. And then you go back and you recalibrate and you smooth things out and it's work, work, work. And it's feedback is very important. Um, but above all, I would say that for people that want to make movies, you have to allow the sort of candle, the hearth fire that's burning in your heart. You have to let, keep that flame alight because there are so many voices who will tell you, don't do it, you can't do it, you will never figure it out. Why are you even dreaming about being a filmmaker or being a novelist or whatever, being an actor? And you have to, you have to, you have to ignore those voices. Um, have the courage of your conviction and just write all the time as much as you can. Well, that's, that's some very good advice. I had one more question for you about yeah. um, uh, Hunter's relationship with her mother. When you sat down to write the script, did you know that back history between her and her mom? I did. That was always in the, um, 
my concept for uh, what, where the film would go. And I don't want to talk too much about it. I don't either. That's why I'm being it, There's very a spoiler cagey. aspect to it. But um, I will say that, um, you know, I believe in the idea that the secrets to who we are are oftentimes buried in our childhood. I really much do believe that. And I think that the process of introspection and, and going back and looking at one's past and asking the tough questions is, is a lifelong process that I think movies and films help facilitate. I think going to uh, a, a darkened, sacred temple of the movie theater with other people or at home watching it on your computer, you can see your fears manifested. You can see other people's uh, cathartic breakthroughs. And I think um, it can really, uh, movies can help increase empathy, um, create psychological breakthroughs, and, and hopefully fight prejudice. The other thing I want to commend you on is your openness and your honesty about your family. A lot of people become writers because they have these family secrets and come from difficult emotional situations. But I think they are often afraid of them. You were really brave and uh, addressed those things as a filmmaker. And I, I think writers should really embrace that stuff, you know, run towards it, not away from it. So what do you have going on next? So, um, well, first of all, thank you so much for, for saying that. And I, I, it's really encouraging to hear um, as I embark on my next projects. Um, I do believe that in order to make something powerful and authentic, you, it, you need to put your own lifeblood into it, you know, your own soul into it. Um, and this is a film that was very near and dear to my heart because of my grandmother's story and also because I also have OCD and so um, exploring those issues on film was uh, cathartic for me as well. In my 20s, uh, you know, I was raised in a feminist family and um, uh, my mother's, my grandmother's story was always uh, uh, around. In, in my 20s, uh, for about five years, I identified as a woman. I wore women's clothing and I had a different name. And that was an incredible time in my life that was so uh, wonderful and was so um, important and, and creative. And it was also a real eye-opener for me because if you're raised as a man, you don't always see how baked into the cake of society sexism is. Um, and just walking down the street, seeing the way that uh, people uh, society views female-identified people and are always trying to control them uh, was uh, really solidified a lot of my feminist beliefs and made me want to make films about those topics and the oppression of gender roles and to continue making uh, movies uh, exploring those issues. Well, I can't wait to see your next project, but in the meantime, everybody should go and see Swallow. Where can they see it? So Swallow is opening um, in uh, New York and L.A. on March 6th uh, and also uh, available online on VOD. And then it's going uh, theatrically uh, wide to the rest of the country. Well, congratulations and thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for talking with me.